0: A little over a year ago, in July 2021, I received a message from a woman named Marianne. Hi, Jessica, it read, I'm from Wallingford and have been intrigued with Doreen Vincent's story since Faded Out. I went on Facebook to contact you about the latest episode, Barn Sale, and saw that you had been at Gouveia Vineyards last weekend. I'm the winemaker and vineyard manager there and today I found your purple flower bouquet memorial that you placed in the vines. I wanted to contact you because, well, it's odd and weird that I would be listening to the podcast about a little girl that disappeared from a farmhouse that I work across the street from and see every day, knowing what I know about the case. But here's the really messed up thing for me. Yesterday, I'm just listening along as you're narrating details about a kid named Dave Borelli who said he saw Doreen in a truck with Heather Parker back in 1988. I had to stop and rewind, listen again, and do the math on his age, because I know a Dave Borelli from Wallingford. Could this be the same person? I never would have imagined that your story in telling about Doreen would leave down the Dave Borelli rabbit hole. When you said you looked him up and found that he was in jail for killing his girlfriend, my heart stopped beating for a moment. It is the same person I know. And his girlfriend, she was my sister, Frances Faro Piscatelli. My head sunk down. It will be 10 years that she's gone, and hearing someone narrate the details of her murder, I wasn't ready for that. Marianne continued. Surprisingly, it doesn't bother me like I thought it would. A few years ago, I would have been drowning myself in wine and behaving badly to numb the pain of losing my sister. PTSD, but last year I lost my mom, and she and Fran were very close. I'm at peace knowing they are together, so it doesn't hurt so much anymore. I don't know what this random connection or two connections means, or if it's random at all. But I just wanted to reach out and share that with you and correct a few details. Her name was Frances, not Francine. She was not his fiance, and she wanted to get away from him. And it was her daughter's 13th birthday, not her son's. Thanks for taking the time to read my message. I hope you find what needs to be found for Doreen. You're working so hard for her. I will continue listening. Enjoy the summer. After I picked my jaw up off the floor, I struck up a conversation with Marianne that continued through July and August. In September, when she invited me to Gouvea's annual grape harvesting event, I jumped at the chance. All I really needed was some SBF and pruning clippers, but on account of my black thumb and scatterbrain, I showed up with an enormous pair of garden shears. The workers instructing us on how to harvest and coming intermittently to take our buckets of grapes to the crusher gave me a proper pair, politely stifling giggles. It was a hot day and the Portuguese language and music filled the air. Afterwards, the Gouvellas rewarded us with flowing wine and a giant outdoor lunch. I hadn't seen Marianne and wasn't sure I was going to when suddenly she texted me. Are you still here? She came by the lunch tent, scooped me up, and took me on a tour of the property with a glass of white.
1: June last year, I was out there. I, I texted you all this, but I was out over there, and the kid that you met in the office there, mm-hmm. Andrew, him and I were working over there um, across from the house. And I had drove in up to that upper driveway, and I see these beautiful cave flowers in the, the end. I like, yeah, yeah, it's been really big. So I saw this beautiful bouquet of flowers at the end of a row, and I had been up in that field a week before, I think it was a Tuesday, because I usually have Mondays off, and I saw this nice bouquet of flowers, and I'm like, okay, this is so weird. (laughs) Someone is either, they were engaged, and the person just kind of decided, no, I don't want to get married, then I'm like, no, they would have just tossed it out the window if they had a breakup or whatever. Because it was placed there, like, so nicely. And I'm like, okay, well, someone's watching me because Mm -hmm. that's where I was working last week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really weird. I felt kind of strange. I was looking around to see if there were people watching me. I ended up just taking the flowers and putting them in my office for a little while. And then I brought them up into the tasting room. And it was, like, back in November after that where I was still listening, and I was like, a light bulb went off. It was like, oh my God, those were not for me. Those were for Doreen. And that clicked, like, immediately. It was like, you know how, like, when you get, like, an epiphany? Yeah. That's what it was like.
0: Before I knew it, we were in a golf cart, weaving in and out of the vines toward Marianne's chosen destination, the row where I had left Doreen's flowers. Directly in front of us and across the way, 1316 Whirlwind Hill watched, silently, while we spoke about Marianne's sister and the strange circumstances that had brought us together. He
1: had gotten, uh, this is just a really messed up story. My niece, who turned 13 that same day, her birthday was October 7th, and that same day we were all—everybody every, was friends after, like, the divorce and everything, and mm-hmm. my sister Fran was with Dave, and everyone was, like, happy together, you know? It's better to just be friends and then celebrate all the kids' parties sure. together. You know, it's just better for the kids. So we were all together at um, my niece and nephew's um, father's house. They had the cake there. And Dave was playing with the little kids, and he was taking cream and dipping it on their noses and making them laugh. And we were having some wine and drinking and just celebrating. And uh, that night, Fran and Dave went to Jay ruse and he was, like, getting on her case about something. He was very jealous. I know that he wanted to get her pregnant so that they could have a baby together, but... She had a 13 and a 15-year-old already. She was like, I'm not going to be doing that. 41. Okay. Yeah, that's late, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they had, he had like a weird attachment to her. And uh, that night, the the other weird thing is my sister lived with her ex-mother-in-law. So her and her husband were divorced already. But the mother-in-law lived in the house with them. So when her husband moved out, his mother was still living there. hmm So I know it's kind of a weird, no. twisted thing. But um, she was home when it happened. She lived in the basement. They made oh, an apartment yes. for her. She was home when it happened. And I get a call at 2.43 in the morning that same night by Joe, her ex-husband. hmm just saying, um, you gotta come to the hospital. Fran's been stabbed by Dave and it doesn't look good. So I get my mom, she lived right around the corner from me basically, and we go to uh Yale and that was what, two forty three in the morning and at four forty four this is the number I see everywhere too. Four forty four was um the time that they pronounced her. They could not save her. It was just too bad.
0: I asked Marianne if she would ever write to Dave or visit him in jail. Never, she said. Her mother had sent him a Bible in prison, but she couldn't bring herself to do anything like that. She had to work on herself first.
1: Honestly, I didn't start to get over my sister's death until my mother died last year. My -hmm. mother and her were very, very close, and my mother just wanted to go after that. You know, she died of pancreatic cancer, and she didn't want to take care of herself she didn't even want to go through treatments or anything she just wanted to die because she was just so sad and I just I just don't know the pain of a parent losing a child like that but after my mom died the trauma and PTSD that I had of my sister dying started to heal Mm -hmm. and now it doesn't hurt so much and when I heard you talking about it it was like Okay, well, that is my reality, but I'm not breaking down right now. I am really okay about this. So I have started, and that was the first time I started to realize that I was healing from it.
0: That's good. Thank you. You're, no, I didn't know. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. Today, more than 34 years after she vanished off the face of the earth, the power that Doreen holds still blows me away. I know how much she means to me, clearly, and your steadfast dedication and support show me how much she means to you. But I'm often reminded that beyond this little community we have created, there are hundreds of others, silently listening, taking it all in. People across the U.S. and the world reach out to me to tell me their stories, to explain how they see themselves, their pain, their losses, their lessons, in Doreen's story. In a way, it reminds me of what Dateline's Josh Mankiewicz told me he called the ripple effect of murder. The loss of a loved one leaves a deep wound in family and friends, of course, but I've learned that the ripple continues to radiate outward, touching and interweaving with and affecting the lives of people who never knew Doreen, never heard her name, until now, and never was that more evident than last February when Mark Hunter Vincent landed in the parking lot of Milford Christian Church, and the dam broke. The first message came, tentatively, last April. Hi, Jessica, this first intrepid soul wrote. I don't really know where to start. I knew Mark when I was a kid. My parents were church friends with both him and Kathy. Mark's been to my house before. I listened to your podcast first, and now I'm getting into the sexual abuse episodes of Faded Out, And I'm getting chills. I would like to bring up Milford Christian Church. I found it hilarious that Mark was arrested there. I'm like, of course he was. Mark has been going to Berean for 30 plus years. I can tell you that the academy should not be allowed to be open. I would like to talk to you more in depth about that. It has caused so much pain for me and many other kids. I read that first message, then read it again. It was far from the last that I would receive. My heart went out to this woman. Her message was so heartfelt, and the plea it contained kept me up when I tried to sleep. But I have to admit, I paused. Milford Christian Church is a rabbit hole, I told myself. Your focus is Doreen. Sure, you'd like to dig into this just like you want to explore Georgia Lewis's career, Roseanne Poloni's brothel, Adam Lanz's mentorship by Private Eye Richard Novia. But you can't afford another rabbit hole. But, as often happens in this case, that plan went right out the window. I'm Jessica Fritz-Aguirre, and this is Sticky Beak, Season 3, Episode 4: Father Figure, Faith, and the Sword of the Spirit.
2: Walk wow, softly, children.
0: A big thank you to our sponsors, JPEX Financial and probate attorney Nia Srodoski. JPEX is a female-owned and operated financial services company. Jamie and Carol can help you plan for all phases of life, from homing in on retirement to planning for your children's education. Whatever the milestone may be, they'll be there to serve you. Please visit their website, www.jpexfinancial.com, or call 860-430-5397 to speak with Carol or Jamie and take care of your financial future. And make sure your estate is in order with Nia Sardoski, a probate attorney who did mine and Joe's estate planning something we've been putting off for years. Nia is excellent at her job and gave us peace of mind for our future. Please call 860-966-9968 or visit ncsestateprobatelaw.com. Back in February 2022, when Mark Vincent was arrested in the parking lot of Milford Christian, I'd already known the little church was Mark's Sunday sanctuary away from Teen Challenge. Forgoing services held by his best friend, Pastor Rick, Mark would slip away and drive the 15 minutes from 86 Spring Street in New Haven to Milford's 989 New Haven Avenue. Just down the road from the home he'd made with his third wife, Kathy, and their son, David, Mark would spend the morning with Pastor James Loomer. Other than bringing in his all-white Teen Challenge field trips or begging the congregation for donations to the mansion project, I thought Milford Christian was just another notch on Mark's born-again belt, a new pit stop where he could pray and sway, decades removed from the events of 1988. Admittedly, even given everything I knew about Mark, I had a big blind spot when it came to his life from the early 90s, when he was convicted for the gun found at his mother Lori's, until about 2016, when he re-entered Teen Challenge. So when I first heard the name Jim Loomer, a man Paul Vincent said had been friends with his father for over 30 years. I pricked up my ears. Paul told the police that his dad had headed toward Jim's when he hightailed it out of Vermont. Surveilling Jim's house, the police saw Mark's CRV and saw the man himself leave and drive away right before they busted him. Still, Pastor Loomer refused to confirm or deny to the Meriden Wallingford Record Journal that Mark had been with him. All he would give the paper was that he'd heard the police had been very professional at the church, making no spectacle. He refused to comment on the gun case or Doreen. But even then, I still didn't dig too hard. A quick Google of Loomer revealed his designation by the Philadelphia Gay News in April 2012 as its creep of the week. Now, suddenly, that intrepid soul was pushing me to take a deeper look. Maybe this isn't quite the rabbit hole you feared, I told myself. Maybe checking out Milford Christian could grant me insight into how a strict singular life with born-again parents in a born-again church might have looked through Doreen's eyes. I'd tried to do that before, with sources from Doreen's last two schools, with little success. One guy from Parkway Christian Academy told me Doreen had always seemed a little too mature for her age, a little too needy, especially when it came to the older kids. Kate, from Westwood's Christian Academy, had made fast friends with Doreen, who was beautiful and larger than life, but who bragged about her underwear modeling. Kate loved this school, she told me, and was sad it had recently closed. Another Westwood's alum echoed this sentiment, telling me her experience there was good. I learned to play sports and got a lot of playing time because the school was so small, she emailed. I also got lots of help academically. And I eventually went into education myself as a result of the influence that some of those teachers had on my life. I still keep in touch with friends and teachers from the school to this day. There were some ridiculous rules that were very legalistic, but I remember WWCA for the people who cared about me and poured into my life personally. When it came to Doreen herself, a shadow fell over the woman's mood. George Michael's father figure released right around the time period that I knew Doreen. And the video always reminded me of the modeling that Doreen would talk about. It's how I pictured what she was telling us. But I also partly didn't believe her because it all just seemed so impossible. I still think about her, especially since I teach 7th graders and have a 12-year-old daughter of my own. And I wish I could go back in time and step outside of my self-absorbed 8th grade self and ask her the questions I didn't know or think to ask her back when she told us about her modeling. Now that I've had mandated reporter training as a teacher myself, I can see the sexual abuse signs so clearly, but back then it wasn't as obvious to me. I am so glad to hear that Mark is in custody and am praying that the truth will all come out and justice will be served for Doreen. Keep fighting the good fight. So I dug into Milford Christian Church, starting with the long and storied history of Jim Loomer's path to Christ. A chronology like that normally would have taken me weeks to dig out and cobble together, but I found it already assembled in various places on the internet. Back in the early 70s, Jim was studying at the University of California, where he developed a worldview, quote, hostile toward America's mission and history. Traveling in Istanbul in 1973, I learned, he met a sinister Viet Cong agent and realized that his, quote, socialist sympathy was misplaced. I became a heartfelt American, Jim wrote, who now desired to uphold traditional America rather than tear it down. In 1975, the year Doreen was born, a church called His Way Ministries held its first Sunday service at the Glad Tidings Tabernacle at 855 State Street in New Haven. Jim joined His Way in 1978 after rejecting what he calls, quote, his lifestyle of ambivalence about God. At the time, A pastor named Nick Champlin and his wife Kathy were leading a revival there, complete with a band Nick headed up called Frankincense and Myrrh. Eager to help, Jim did some youth pastoring and some odd maintenance jobs. In 1980, the Champlins moved His Way Ministries to Yale University, to a lecture hall that had been the school's original library reading room, and their church swelled to about 300 people. Many people trace their spiritual lineage back to the Yale years, when the church seemed more like a movement God was leading, reads the website for Gateway Christian Fellowship, the latest iteration of the church. New Haven was notoriously bad about plowing streets after snowstorms, but our attendance never seemed to waver. People walked through snow and ice to get to the services. We could never get the Yale Facilities Department to turn on the heat for us during the winter's, so it was common for people to leave their coats, hats and gloves on and have steam coming out of their mouths as they sang and praised the Lord. The power and presence of the Lord was so evident as people were drawn to the church that our lack of amenities seemed inconsequential. Supernatural testimonies began piling up as words of healing and deliverance circulated throughout the region. The sense that we were laboring under a visitation of the Holy Spirit was evident and commonly believed by most of us. Pastor Nick always harkened back to the vision he had in August 1975 and knew that God was unfolding his plan. His Way changed its name to Faith Christian in 1981, around the same time that Jim Loomer married his own Kathy. And in 1982, it began hosting outreaches, something called Believer's Breakfast, and Nick's radio program, The Sword of the Spirit. We were always reaching out for lost souls, Champlin wrote we never stopped throwing out the nets. From our early days at Yale, we had attracted many students, grad students, and professors, worshiping together with ex-addicts, business owners, and professionals. You name it, Faith Christian Church had it. Young, elderly, wealthy, low-income, blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asians, Jews, gypsies were all worshiping Jesus Christ together. In 1985, Faith Christian left Yale for 870 First Avenue in West Haven, growing exponentially from its original 300 members to almost 1,000 in about a year. The next five years, according to the Gateway website, were a time of great celebration. Quote, the air constantly filled with faith and expectation and the altar constantly filled with people being saved, healed, delivered, and encouraged by a word from God. In 1990, Pastor Champlin moved to Florida with his family to set up a new iteration of Faith Christian and handed the reins of leadership to Pastor Brian Simmons, who rechristened it Gateway. The year before, in 1989, Jim Loomer gave up his contracting and restaurant endeavors, as well as Faith Christian itself, to replace Richard Scallon as pastor of the Berean Assembly of God. Since then, Pastor Jim has dedicated himself to endeavors you would expect of a right-wing evangelist, like leading protests of Planned Parenthoods and local sex shops, encouraging congregants to blow horns, and call on God to knock the buildings down. That Creep of the Week designation in 2012 followed Loomer's unsuccessful fight against the National Day of Silence in the Milford Public Schools. Developed in 1996 by the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, the event encouraged students to take a day-long vow of silence to call attention to anti-LGBTQ bullying, but Jim insisted it was an excuse to introduce kids to child sex and porn and indoctrinate them into homosexuality. In a radio interview with Focus on the Family's Tony Perkins, Loomer said, I think parents will be so appalled at what the Day of Silence could lead their children into that they're going to want to stand up and say, let's get rid of this. There are alternative programs that focus on disrupting the bullying that goes on in schools, but this one's got a serious kickback to it. Just as Jim Loomer appears to be a typical evangelical pastor, Berean Assembly of God, founded in 1963 and later renamed Milford Christian Church, appears pretty standard for an evangelical ministry. According to its website, it's the end of your search for a friendly church. There is service every Sunday morning, of course, but also worship sessions throughout the week. Every Sunday and Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m., there's something called World Prayer Nights. I'm told those are rowdy, with lots of hallelujahs. Intercessory Prayer, where congregants get together to pray for others, is on Saturdays at 6. And on Wednesday nights, there's a Bible study. The Women's Ministry encourages its members to not only pray for one another, but to love, laugh, let their hair down. A men's fellowship meets once a month for dinner and finds spiritual strength in numbers, mentoring the younger congregants and finding, quote, enrichment in their enthusiasm. At its core, the church emphasizes receipt of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to Jesus' life-changing power, and treating the Bible as the literal word of God. True believers, the church preaches, will not only claim to love Jesus, they will bear witness to that love in their daily lives. One of Milford Christian's main focuses is its children, led by church members described as tried and true servants, each of whom heard and accepted an invitation to lead. The church's pre-K class and before and after school childcare is called Little Eagles. The church's pre-K class and before and after school childcare is called Little Eagles because before eagles can soar, they must be nurtured. Little Eagles is run by a woman named Miss Janet wife of assistant pastor Alan Parody. For students in K-12, the Big Eagles, there is Milford Christian Academy, established in 1996. According to the church's site, its headmaster is and has always been Pastor Loomer, but before 1999, there was another, a man named Ron Kirk. The school was originally called Berean Christian Academy after the ancient Bereans, who the Bible says were more noble than the Thessalonians and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. The sign outside the school reads, Christ-centered education to restore America's heritage of excellence of character, wisdom, leadership, liberty, and accomplishment. For Jim, his right-hand woman Susan Martin, and his team of teachers— This stands in contrast to the indoctrination of progressivism and liberalism, focusing on a biblical worldview rather than the government mandated worldview of political correctness, critical race theory, gender fluidity, globalism, and cancel culture. The leaders of Berean work tirelessly, we're told, to reverse the trend of decline in education, replacing failure with a trend of increasing godliness, citizenship, and true accomplishment, among those who desire to follow Jesus in all his ways, spiritual and practical. The website contains a promotional video.
3: America's founding fathers knew that honor for God and his holy Bible was the foundation and guarantee of liberty. America's first schoolmaster, Noah Webster said, the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. Milford Christian Academy, established in 1996, is dedicated to that American tradition. Milford Christian Academy is located in historic Milford, Connecticut, whose founder, the Reverend Peter Pruden, established the community in Christian liberty in 1639. The families and staff of Milford Christian Academy are committed to restoring America's nobility through systematic Christian education. Our multicultural staff and student body begin each day in worship and Bible devotion, led by students and staff alike. A challenging message is presented weekly by our principal, Pastor James Lewis, and by other regional leaders. With a mission of reviving America's character and education, Milford Christian Academy prepares students for college and adult life through a safe and respectful environment, low student-teacher ratios, sound biblical worldview curriculum, strong school home cooperation, reasonable tuition, personalized instruction and character development, before and after school programs, and interaction with other Christian schools. Ninety-five percent of graduates attend college, some with remarkable scholarships. Thanks to committed staff, school families, and supporters, Milford Christian Academy continues to grow. Since its inception in 1996, Milford Christian Academy has added six modular classrooms, swing sets and climbing bars, a workout room for weight training, two basketball courts, and a computer lab. To better serve our school families, Milford Christian Academy has automated administrative and classroom procedures, enabling email correspondence and record sharing with the home. In a nation whose foundations are threatened, in a nation that's losing its biblical worldview, Milford Christian Academy stands ready to partner with you. The psalmist asked, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The answer is clear. Rebuild America through biblical Christian education, one classroom at a time. Join us at Milford Christian Academy. God bless you, and God bless America.
0: In multiple online reviews, Berean is lauded, its teachers praised. Reviewers extol its loving and nurturing environment, calling the school a big family. Day one, I brought my daughter in so nervous, one woman writes. Almost immediately, I felt an overwhelming sense of peace upon entering the school. The teachers and Pastor Loomer are great examples and leaders for these children. I couldn't ask for more, reads another review. Thankful, thankful, thankful for the wonderful men and women of God that lead here with excellence, integrity, and love. People praise Brian's academics as top-notch, what one reviewer calls the way of escape from the infiltration of propaganda that has made its way into government schools. Critical thinking, written and verbal expression, and accuracy of history, the reviewer writes, are all stressed from a biblical worldview. Here are some other snippets. In this wonderful, loving atmosphere, academics are given top priority. The curriculum is challenging and demanding, which keeps the kids' brains working and moving forward. While most schools teach children how to regurgitate facts, Brain teaches how to master and utilize information to rightly influence the culture. The teachers and administrators go above and beyond the responsibilities to see that each child has what they need to fulfill their God given potential. Among the glowing praise, however, Bad reviews shoot up like weeds. One prospective parent was shocked by the school's physical condition when she took her daughter to visit. There is no heat or AC, she wrote. The school is not a whole building, but a bunch of narrow trailers that seem to be falling apart, connected together. But it was the reviews from former students that caught my eye. Terrible school, one wrote. I'm shocked it's gotten good reviews. Maybe it looks good on paper, or the church members voted up. Who knows? They will shower you with Christian love if your comment is negative and have their flock give themselves five stars, wrote another. But this school is terrible. You just don't learn as much as you would in a decent school. A third reviewer also noted the grounds were falling apart, continuing, graduates find themselves ill-prepared mentally and socially for both college and the real world. Teachers are not certified. I spoke with multiple former students who confirmed that most of their teachers, if not all, lacked any education beyond high school. A man who brought his food truck to campus to serve kids hot lunch was given a job teaching history. But the meat of the problem lay, sources told me, with the school's approach to education itself. Of course, one can expect Christian teachings at a Christian school, but former Bahrain kids would tell me it was incredibly, unacceptably parochial and that they suffered as a result. Chapel, each day's first and longest period, could be fun if the hot lunch guy was running it, but it stretched at least an hour, longer if Susan Martin was in charge. When the kids actually made it to the classroom, each grade had just a handful of kids, sometimes only one, and never more than six, the biggest graduating class in Bahrain history to date. And yes, it was taught in trailers, which had a mold problem, about a hundred yards or so from the main church, with no bathrooms. The children were grouped together to form classes of 10 or 12. Because there were so few of them, this meant three or more grades shared a classroom. Often that meant you'd learn something in one grade, just to go back to the beginning the next year. For Berean, the end goal was combating the modern decline in education and returning it to its traditional scriptural roots. For Pastor Loomer and his supporters. The end goal was combating the modern decline in education and returning it to what they claimed were its traditional scriptural roots. Character, knowledge, and skill were important, yes, but Berean also sought to, quote, anoint the children to live in today's world, but on God's terms and for his glory. In the beginning, back in 1996, the curriculum as well as the textbooks were handwritten by Pastor Kirk. But after a while, Pastor Loomer and his supporters started pushing Pentecostalism hard. According to my sources, Pastor Kirk thought it was getting out of hand, distracting from the kids' education, so Pastor Loomer pushed him out in 1999. These days, Bahrain uses something called the principal approach, which applies a biblical worldview to everything, from the school's administration to its classroom methods to its curriculum. Each of Bahrain's core courses were to be based on seven biblical principles. Character, government, stewardship, growth, covenant, individuality, and the sovereignty of God. In an online review, one student was left unimpressed. This school, it read, teaches kids from K-12 through 12 that the world is 6,000 years old, preaches anti-Muslim rhetoric, and made the students attend a Tea Party rally. But Berean remains proud of its approach. Here's one teacher at the school's June 2020 graduation. Well,
4: good afternoon, MCA. Congratulations to all the students who are being graduated today and promoted to new levels. I applaud all of your achievements. And I wanted to just take a brief opportunity today to remind you that an education at Milford Christian Academy is not like what most students receive. The principal approach we employ here allows you to excel, not by just being able to spew back information that's fed to you, but instead to master and utilize information by researching, reasoning, relating, and recording. You students, therefore, have the opportunity to become equipped to carry out the divine callings on your lives. And that equipping comes about during the
0: training and proving that occurs in the classroom. When I played this video for one source, she laughed. All we did was memorize and regurgitate, she told me. To this day, I remember every single preposition in alphabetical order, and former students would sound this note over and over. Baran, they told me, had left them cheated.
2: Uh, The education, too, you know, some people are like, my mom was like, I thought, you know, it's going to be a private education. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so far, I know we talked about that, but it was extremely far behind um, from public school.
3: Right.
2: You know, I'm like, we did not get an education there, missing years of education.
0: Students were also meant to self-teach, to go at their own pace.
2: There wasn't a teacher teaching us things. And so... Kids would have, like, magazine clippings of, like, the motorcycle. Like, like, that. like there was a guy in my class who had magazines of motorcycles and cars, like, just in his books. That's what he was looking
0: at through the day. Sometimes, like when teachers prescribed 10-year-olds the book Ben-Hur, this was all but impossible. That was a thick book with tiny letters, one woman told me. I had a really hard time, she said, even getting through the first paragraph. I nodded like I'd known all along that Ben-Hur was a book before it was a Charlton Heston movie. When I looked it up, I saw it was published in 1880 and subtitled The Tale of the Christ. Religious reading was a common theme, with any literature having to be by a Christian author, and Loomer and the teachers bragging that the Bible was the school's main textbook. The only other thing the kids had to read, for their core courses of grammar, language arts, and literature, were little brown books devoid of color or pictures. They're called McGuffey or eclectic readers, and they're a set of primers for elementary students. Introduced in 1835, Wikipedia tells us they were among the first textbooks in the U.S. designed to be increasingly challenging with each volume. A revision in 1879 saw the McGuffeys, or the eclectics, ease up on Calvinist values like salvation, righteousness, and piety, to instead reflect the idea of the American melting pot and the need for national unity. While I can't be sure, I'm pretty sure Berean stuck with the old version. McGuffey's had four levels. The first taught phonics. The second provided vivid stories that kids would remember, says Wikipedia, to teach them the meaning of sentences. The task, one Berean kid told me, was self-taught and was as follows. Read each story. Write down and look up every word you don't know in the Webster 1828 dictionary. Summarize every paragraph. Summarize the story. Write down the story's overall theme with a supporting quote. Rinse and repeat. This approach made one woman, stuck for years with just 20 stories, hate reading until she left Berean and went to high school. Then again, wouldn't you?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, which we're, were in Old English, and, like, I used the same reader for three years because they didn't, like, keep you accountable or have some sort of
0: progression. At the third McGuffey level, definitions, students had to define 10 unknown words per story. If you knew all the words and wrote nothing down, the teachers would try to catch you on a word they thought you didn't know. If you couldn't define it and use it in a sentence, you were sent back to your desk to start over. Kids found themselves using the biggest words they could find, even if they already knew what they meant, just to keep their teachers happy. The fourth level of McGuffey's was reserved for the brightest kids in the grammar school. I spoke to one woman who had made it that far, but it turns out she stole the readers and cheated. Whether they reached level four or remained at level one, former students told me, it left them at a deficit. Mm-hmm. For a long, long time, I was, and still, I'm like, I have to, like,
2: Google things sometimes when I'm, like, writing emails to people mm-hmm.
0: um, because we didn't have grammar. The kids were supposed to have music and art, but they never really did in the typical sense of the term. Music was choir, as led by Susan Martin. And art would be something like crocheting, which the kids got only intermittently if someone stopped by to teach the class. There was no geography class. When I went to public school, said one woman, I was so lost because we never saw a map at Berean. This approach allowed Berean to teach that the Garden of Eden was a real place you could locate on a map. As for math, another core course, kids taught themselves using little books called Ray's Arithmetic, which were equally as riveting as the McGuffeys. Ray's contained word problems only was like i'm actually pretty good at math and it
2: always came like naturally to me we were just doing like simple addition subtraction with bushels and packs Mm -hmm. and And i'm you know i'm thinking like can we at least least use like gallons and pints and quarts like things that we would see in a grocery store ounces like just normal like yeah how people do things like in the real world like no one's going to be like can I have a, I have a bushel of apples <laughs> like can we be real a little realistic
0: here um so we can actually use this in our lives sometimes kids would learn stuff in history another core brain class but that only went so far
2: The past we have to
0: from the now. Usually, actual history was eschewed for his story, capital H, capital S, which meant that children were taught the tale of Jesus as presented by the school's main textbook, the Bible. Again, this has left former students flailing.
2: Like, I never memorized, like, any dates of, you know, actual history. Mm-hmm. Um, like, never knew. We didn't have history. <laughs> like, I, I'm missing what because are normally taught in history class. I just didn't have that. Right. The baseline, um, the foundation for yeah, learning. Berean's
0: like, like, uh, final core course, science, was a whole other ball game.
2: She got like Christian textbooks. We were obviously taught creationism. If we had questions they couldn't answer, we were told to ask and we got to
0: have it a joke of an education. We never had science class at Baran, wrote one source, unless it was the one time we grew jalapeno peppers out on the far side of the parking lot.
2: Science was, it can be explained by God. So like flat earth
0: creationism, stuff like that. Oh, heavy on creationism. It was very very vocally anti-evolution. Like literal seven-day creation. Noah's Ark had been proven real, the kids were told, when an unnamed man found a fishbone on top of an unnamed mountain. Years later, these people look back at science class with a mixture of frustration, embarrassment, and sadness. When one former Berean kid was 30, she came upon dinosaur bones in a museum. Are those real? She asked her husband. Yes, he told her, and looked at her with amusement and love. I'm so sorry, he said, about that school. Another woman sent me a photo of a recent 5th and 6th grade leaf hunt at Berean featuring one boy clutching a leaf, the other a textbook entitled Observing God's World. The leaves were meant to show God's intricate design, to show kids that, like fingerprints, no two leaves were the same. This picture made me cry, the woman wrote me, and I don't even know why. That tree behind them was barely more than a sapling when I was a kid. And now its trunk is so thick, and so many babies have pulled leaves off of it for that same fucking science class. It's weird. It's like my brain made me believe it wasn't still happening or something, but these pictures, with the same textbooks, was like a gut punch. Despite the holes in their education, some students were placed in positions of power over others. One alum recalled being tasked, at 15 or 16, with manning a kindergarten class for a week. Many students were allowed, or maybe made, to graduate early, only to be brought back to teach. This option was strictly reserved for faculty children, of which there were many, who would be brought back well before the age of 18.
2: Half of the kids and parents were teachers there because it's such a small school.
0: Well, yeah, because you
2: remarked on the whole seeing that had skipped and then was able to yes. go back and teach and you weren't offered that opportunity. Yeah, I, yeah I, well, I remember Susan was like, my son is, she was eating an apple she was, like, at her desk, and she was, like, bragging, like, my son is convinced that he's going to graduate when he's 16, and I know he will. And she was, like, you know, all, uh, I don't know what the right word is. She was, like, you know, chin up in, in the air, just feeling all proud of herself. And I'm, like, huh, that's, I wonder how they do that. How, how do you graduate early?
0: Listening to this episode you might wonder what the hell this all has to do with Doreen. This is a rabbit hole, some of you might be saying. What do I care about fishbones and McGuffeys? About Ben-Hur? Or at what age some kid saw a map for the first time? But come just a little further with me while I do a quick Facebook search for Pastor Jim and his wife, Kathy. Kathy Loomer's profile photo shows her beaming and beautiful, standing by the sea on a day long ago. Her head is tilted and her smile is wide. Eyes squinted against the sun. Jim, beside her, sports a red, white, and blue polo, a dark beard, and a slightly furrowed brow. Commenters weren't sure when the picture was taken until Nick Champlin, the founder of what would become Faith Christian Church, chimed in. Okay, you two kids, Nick wrote. Did you guys have sloppy Jose's at the time? I'm not sure what Sloppy Jose's is, but I'm pretty sure it's one of those restaurant ventures that Jim quit to become Brian's pastor. Anyway, Kathy responds, yes, we did. And you had a busting out church in New Haven and were preaching the pain off the walls over at WFIF. Nick remembered, I was on FIF during the noon hour with the sword of the spirit in the 80s up until the end of 89. FIF was quite the pioneering effort back then. The noon hour proved to be a great slot for Faith Christian Church. If I had Googled the name of Pastor Nick's radio show, The Sword of the Spirit, I would have discovered it's found in Ephesians 6.17, meant to represent the Word of God and a weapon of the Holy Spirit. The sword is just one piece of God's armor, armor Christians must put on to wage war against evil. The other pieces, if you're curious, are the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, The shield of faith, the belt of truth, and feet prepared with the gospel of peace. As for the sword itself, it can be used as a defensive weapon, shielding one from the powers of Satan. But the sword, like God's word, can also be used offensively to penetrate even the most wicked hearts and demolish strongholds of falsehood. I know because I read my Bible. But that day, the day I first looked up the Loomers on Facebook, I cared about the sort of the spirit about as little as I cared about sloppy Jose's. What I cared about was Nick Champlin. I know I know that name, I thought, and that face, too. But it can't be. I dug through my piles of documents, and there it was, on the intake form that Mark and Sharon had filled out on February 3, 1986. That was the day they enrolled a 10 year old Doreen at Parkway Christian Academy, her fifth or sixth school in as many years. There, in the space reserved for pastor, Mark had jotted Nick Champlin's name, had claimed Doreen had professed her faith in Jesus to him. And that church. I had never heard of Milford Christian, but I knew I'd heard of this one. I dove back into my reams of paper, and holy shit, there it was Faith Christian Church. 871st Avenue, West Haven, Connecticut. It hadn't been just Nick and Kathy Champlin's church, nor just Jim and Kathy Loomer's. It had been Mark and Sharon Vincent's. And on that long ago Wednesday night in June 1988, when Doreen vanished forever, Sharon had been at 871st Avenue in West Haven for Bible study. Simply put, Faith Christian had been Sharon's alibi. And suddenly I realized that all this, Milford Christian, Jim Loomer, and all that came before, weren't just Mark Vincent's pit stops, not just Notches in his born-again belt. They've been here this whole time. And these days, the ripple effect that Doreen Vincent continues to have, all these years later, can't be ignored. Because the Berean kids are here now, too. They're ready to penetrate wicked hearts, to demolish strongholds of falsehood. They're ready to talk.
2: I think that leads back to Jim Loomer and everyone at Berean. Everybody wanted to push everything under the rug and hide everything. Because, God forbid, their reputation gets ruined. Not even only Mark, but there's all this shady shit going down. And everybody's just hiding it for each other. All your freedom, you all down. Walk until Gabriel.